Yankees Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. And the rest of you are probably wondering if we even remember how to do this thing after uh, my week off. I was in the Bahamas and I don't apologize, um, especially because I got to miss the Yankees playing some pretty bad baseball while I was there. So um, Whipple, uh, this recent stretch of play has also coincided with the beginning of law school for you and how how's that going uh it's been going uh i'd say it's been going better than the yankees play and that i've consistently been doing things I, i've been very consistent in my reading and my, my study habits uh definitely been an experience um and i was as i said on twitter you know have to balance school with baseball again unlike the rest of america i did not get labor day off so i was forced to watch uh marwin gonzalez and aaron judge homer from my torts class but that's okay because even though the yankees have not maintained my consistency uh it seems they're on the upswing as you said it's been a while since we've done this and in that time we've witnessed a rise a fall and then a rise again potentially I i feel like we have a lot to talk about and i don't even know where to start i mean the IKF and Marwin Gonzalez homering today just shows how much ground we have to cover because that might be like the 20th most important thing we have to talk about. Yeah. So, I mean, I will say, uh, I, I said on Twitter when Marwin Gonzalez homered that it was a sign of the apocalypse, but, uh, Marwin and IKF homering in the same game is basically a guarantee. I mean, the Yankees, Ran out what I think we would agree was their worst lineup of the season today. Um, just seeing, you know, no DJ, no Rizzo, um, IKF, Marwin, Donaldson, LaCastro. I mean, it was bad. Like, bad, bad. Uh, and they won the game because this team just continues to be super, super weird. Um, but yeah, you're right. We do have a lot to cover. Um, I, I said to you before we started recording, I think this episode is going to be a lot about vibes. Like I watched less baseball in the last couple of weeks, like basically since the second game against the Mets that I had in a while, I was on vacation. And then this past weekend I was in Columbus, Ohio for the Notre Dame game. Uh, a reminder that it's September 5th. And the Irish are undefeated against the spread. Um, good teams win, great teams cover. Uh, so, you know, I've I've been keeping up, I've been reading, I've been watching highlights, but today was the first time I was able to watch every pitch of a game in, in a long time. Um, and I think we've seen some things in the last two days that are pretty positive, but... If we can somehow get ourselves all the way back to like August 21st, the Yankees were 74 and 48. That's 26 games over 500. There was some apocalyptic stuff being said and being written in the time since then, and now they're 27 games over 500. So like the Yankees have gotten better relative, you know, from a wins and losses perspective, they played better than 500 baseball since August 21st, but things got dark, dark in that time. So how do you, how do you react to that? Because like, look, I've been, I've been pretty positive about this team the whole year. I'm still very positive about this team. Um, I think they're doing a lot of things very cautiously. 
Uh, I think they're doing a lot of things that frustrate me, but this team, of course, was not a 118-win team, but they're also true talent, I don't think, not like a 95-win team. Like, I think this is a 103-win team that probably isn't going to win 103 games, and that's a fine way to go into the playoffs. Uh, they're going to win the American League East. Like, how how down did you get in these last couple weeks? So it, it, it's hard to you know take yourself back because the Yankees, as you said, on August 21st, they were coming off a pretty poor week against the Rays and Blue Jays. And then they went out and swept the Mets and they won the first two games against the Athletics. And I think we, most of us thought the ship was righted and into extra innings on Saturday. I mean, I watched that Saturday game against the A's, the probably the weirdest baseball game I've ever seen in which uh, there were minimal hits and many errors and Rob Marinaccio giving up a home run to Steven Vogt in extra innings. I, I kind of felt, you know what, they didn't deserve to win that game. Like, the pitching was really good. Yeah. It happens. Like, they, you know, they, they lost, but they probably shouldn't have won. I think Sunday yep. the, against the A's was when things started to go a bit off the rails because the, you know, instead of the offensive regression being a blip, it became more of the norm going into Monday against um, the Angels. Tuesday was a win, but Wednesday was a very frustrating game just because, um, you know, that was a very winnable game. I mean, all of these are winnable games. The Yankees have scored more than four runs only a few times in the last month, and they've won pretty much all of those games except for that really back-and-forth game in St. Louis. And so going into Tampa, it was an opportunity, and I think the lowest point came on that Friday game because that was such an embarrassment, losing 9 nothing in a game that you needed to show up and win. And, the, you know, Saturday was just – it kind of seemed like the wheels had come off. And then baseball is a funny sport because yesterday they pulled out the win by the skin of their teeth, and then today, you know, pretty convincing 5-2 to two win over the Twins. And I don't know if this is the turnaround, but it really shows, you know, momentum is the next day starting pitcher. And that's kind of where I want to start with this because I think people are frustrated with the quality of this team, but it really is not the team. The pitching staff has been incredible, and we'll definitely have holes to pick with the offense. And there's definitely things I want to talk about with how they play guys, you know, what they do with guys who are injured. But let's just focus on how good this pitching staff is because while it might not be as good as it was in the first two months, I would say it's not that far off. There was a slight blip midway through the season, but right now you have Garrett Cole's pitching incredibly. Frankie Monta seemed to have found something in his last few games, especially the one against the Rays. You have Domingo Herman, who is now legitimately in the conversation for a playoff start. Severino Nestor coming back. And Tyon, as you know, your sixth starter right now, is is not too bad. I mean, his start today was basically what you'd want your sixth starter to do. And plus, Clark Schmidt honestly looked pretty good at times against the Rays on Saturday. Plus, you have a lot of great looks out of the bullpen. You have Jonathan Loisga might be back with a capital B, which I would argue is one of the most important developments of the last two weeks. You have Lou Trevino's pitching like a guy. Wandy's pitching great. Clay Holmes seems to have largely recovered. I mean, anybody who is concerned about the pitching right now, it is just so unwarranted. And I think these last few weeks have, again, every time over the last few years, that specifically 21 and 22, um, I, I feel like I've been more confident than I have been when, you know, the 2019 team is struggling versus the 21 and 22 team because I just feel like we've never seen pitching to this level as a Yankees fan. 
And every time they go up and pitch this well, it just gives me confidence that in the playoffs, as long as this offense can find some semblance of something, the pitching's going to be there. And that's what really wins games. And if there is any confidence, any positives, you know, to take from this team, um, I, I think, you know, Aaron Judge, we'll talk about him. He has been incredible. But just seeing how well this pitching staff has done just gives me real confidence. Even they're still missing guys and the guys they're going to get back. But top to bottom, I still trust this pitching staff more than any other staff in the league. And pretty much every single game that they've lost, except for Friday's game, and even Friday's game was mostly blown by Anthony Banda, who is gone. He's not going to be on this team. So pretty much every game has been, you know, a four to three loss, a three to two loss, which is pretty unacceptable, but also just really gives me a lot of hope for what this team can be in October because all you have to do is score, you know, more than four runs and you're basically automatically going to win the game as they've shown. Yeah. The trouble has been when they haven't scored that. Um, But I don't know if you want to say anything about the pitching, but just starting on a positive note, it's just been really great to watch. And the last thing I'll say is they've basically had no margin for error and they've pitched as bet as well as they've done all season. I think that's super impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, the pitching has been very good. Uh, they basically give up three or four runs every game. Um, now, it's interesting. If you look at the stats, like the Yankees pitching staff is 19th in uh, Fangraph's war since August 1st. Uh in ERA, they are, uh, you know, also kind of not incredible. They're 12th in ERA. Um, now, they did give up a bunch of runs in games against Seattle and St. Louis uh, early in that sample. So, you know, if you look since August 10th, they are 9th in the league in ERA and... They're at least in the top half in war. They're 12th. So, like, the pitching has been good, but, and I can't tell why, it hasn't really been as good as I feel like it seems like it has. Um, and maybe that's just because of a few blow up games and, you know, guys who shouldn't be getting the ball, getting the ball. Like, you know, they gave up eight runs to the Rays a couple weeks ago. They, of course, gave up, um, you know, that 9 nothing game the other day. So that's been kind of weird, but yeah, the the most disappointing thing about this stretch is that they have been in so many games that they lost. Um, you know, you think about the extra innings loss in uh, Seattle, the extra innings loss in Boston, the extra innings loss in Oakland. Um, you know, the Yankees have been basically staying afloat over this stretch and they maintain a five and a half game lead that if the Red Sox can beat the Rays today would grow to six uh, in the division. They, um, you know, still have a better run differential than the Astros, Mets, Braves, Cardinals. I mean, every team except the Dodgers. Uh, there's a lot to like about this team and I do believe that they're going to hit and if if you don't mind, I'd like to dive into something that you tweeted um, when at a time when I think you were feeling particularly down. Um, is that is that all right with you? Sure. I mean, I, I, I put it on the Internet and I have to be accountable for my conduct. So on September 3rd, uh, which 
if memory serves is the day that uh the Yankees lost 2-1 to Tampa because they just refused to score any runs I think was that the that was judge hit a home run in the ninth and that was yep. all the offense um you tweeted the 2022 Yankees are going to be a great case study in regression to the mean um and I I I just don't think that accurately describes what has gone on with this team. No, I will interject that I don't think it does either, but I think it's like okay. the most extreme example of like regression that I've ever seen and I think it will like we'll see where it ends up. I just think it's going to be fascinating that a team that was probably like you said like 95 to 100 wins started off so well and got so poorly and will probably end up in the middle. Just to defend my own words. Also, I was feeling down at that point. Yeah. No, and I don't... I, I just think when we when we think about this team, like, if you look at it on an individual level, um, I think underachievement is a much better uh, explanatory tool for what's gone on with this team than regression to the mean. Um and I think, you know, we can look at a few guys and I can walk you through what I mean. So Josh Donaldson in the first half of the season uh, had a 102 WRC plus in the second half of the season has an 85 WRC plus. He has a 96 WRC plus on the year. Um, Josh Donaldson, because the projection systems still realize that he's been good for like the last 10 seasons is projected for a rest of season 116 WRC plus he hasn't hit at that level like at all but he's a 134 career WRC plus hitter it wasn't Josh Donaldson's 102 WRC plus that was keeping the Yankees afloat in the first half of the season and now that he's at 85 they're they're doomed um and it's also not like Josh Donaldson's 102 WRC plus was him, you know, getting lucky or overachieving. It was, you know, relative to his batted ball profile or any of his expected numbers. It was, you know, a guy who had historically been a good player having like a pretty terrible season and that season getting worse over the course of the year. But I don't think that's regression to the mean in the sense that I don't think Josh Donaldson's first half was you know, anomalous in the sense that uh, he shouldn't have been hitting that well. Giancarlo Stanton, same deal. He had a 135 WRC plus in the first half. He probably came back, you know, and he's a 140 career WRC plus hitter. He came back and has had a negative 18 WRC plus in the second half. Uh, he may have come back too early from injury. He's looked lost. He's looked bad. He fouled the ball off his foot today. X-rays were negative, but you know, who knows what we're going to see there. Glaber Torres, same deal. Glaber Torres isn't a 43 WRC plus hitter. He may not be a 130 WRC plus hitter, uh, which he was in the first half, but he's also not a 101 WRC plus hitter. Even after, you know, a couple seasons where he really underachieved, his career WRC plus is 111 still. Like, Glaber Torres hitting at a 43 WRC plus for the second half wasn't some, like, super predictable regression to the mean. Ditto, um, uh, ditto Aaron Hicks. Like, Aaron Hicks has been awful, but he's not a 29 WRC plus hitter. He's also probably better than an 88 WRC plus hitter, which he's now been on the year. 
Uh, Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge are really the only two guys on the team who have mirrored their first half production in the second half. And I I just don't think that on an individual level, I think the, the drop-offs have been so extreme that you can't attribute it to regression to the mean. Like, these... These guys earned the numbers that they hit for in the first half. I know my dad likes to talk about when we had Jordan Levine at xwoba underscore woba on the podcast, and he was talking about, you know, some guys appearing to get a little bit lucky. It wasn't to this extent. Like, Glaber Torres shouldn't lose 95 or 85 points of WRC plus uh, just because his xwoba was a little bit higher than his woba or a little bit lower than his woba. Like, what? I don't, I don't think what we're seeing is regression to the mean. I think from a wins and losses perspective, it is. Mm-hmm. Because this team was not going to keep winning at that rate. But I think the regression that was inevitable has been compounded by everyone slumping at the same time. And that it's important to try to disentangle those, even though it's very difficult. Because like, guys are not as bad as they've played for the last month. They just aren't. Um, and we know that. Because they legitimately had the production that they had in the first half. Um, So I think it's just uh, like, and I don't think the narrative that you believe or really the narrative that's out there is that the Yankees were like some artificially good team in the first half and this is their true talent being exposed. I just really want to push back against anything that sounds like that. Because it's it's not at all representative of what we've seen this season or how it breaks down on an individual level or anything like that. No, you're right. Because regression to the mean would look like, you know, a team playing at a 120-win pace that's really a 95-win team, you know, playing at a 95-win pace for the rest of the year. Or mm-hmm. even maybe slightly worse than that. But it's not you – know, like, yeah, my, my, my tweet was definitely more dramatic because regression to the mean is not – Let's everything gets so bad that you are now pulled to the average of where you should be, which, you know, is probably what's going to happen. Like the Yankees in a, in a world where this didn't happen, the Yankees would probably end up winning like, you know, 105 to 110 wins games because they started off so well. And then they use that cushion to propel them to a higher than expected win total. Right now they're using that cushion to basically prop up their win total to be something around what we might have expected or what their best case scenario was before we thought it was, you know, setting the all-time wins record. Um, I think, you know, I, I agree with you, you know, injuries are a huge part of this and it happens to every team, but it just seems like every bad thing happened at once. And that's definitely a bit unlucky. Um, and I, I, there's something else I do want to talk about because I think with this, you know, this talk of what the season has looked like, necessitates a discussion of how the Yankees, you know, their their strategy for the season, what it has been. And, you know, like you said, when they started off this well, the reasonable expectation was that, you know, they're, they wouldn't regress this far backward. They would play something closer to their true talent level and they would, you know, use their 15 and a half game lead and probably not get it to single digits or to within five games or whatever the hell happened in the last two weeks that hopefully we'll soon forget. Um, And, you know, there was some trades made to that effect. I think, you know, the Jordan Montgomery trade, no matter what you think about a second pitcher being acquired was certainly a trade made with a need more targeted for October in mind versus trying to get through the rest of the regular season. And I, at the time I respected the intention. I just don't think it was executed the right way. And I think though I don't think those moves 
singularly brought them down. But I think some of the, you know, that combined with injuries, combined with some regression, like every bad thing seemed to happen at once. And I, I, it bothers me. One of the things that the Yankees have done that has frustrated me, and I've said this a bunch of times on Twitter, is that they refuse to just put guys on the IL. Some guys, it seems like they put on the IL and they, you know, they're being too cautious. Some guys, it seems like, they are like, okay, we have a 10-game lead, and we're not going to put Anthony Rizzo or DJ LeMahieu on the IL. We're going to rest them for five or six days. We're going to intentionally play shorthanded because we're okay with that. We think the value that he provides is more important than getting another guy up because we don't care about the singular wins and losses of every day. And one, I think that's a terrible strategy. You know, It's a terrible strategy because you're playing shorthanded, but I also think like in the long term, you're losing – you know, you're, you're basically losing the value that any guy provides over not having a guy, but you're also having guys come back before they're ready. Specifically, I think Anthony Rizzo and DJ LeMahieu should not be playing games. They should be on the IL if they're actually hurt. DJ LeMahieu, I think, is the biggest example of someone who is obviously dealing with something because this is, you know, DJ LeMahieu going over five every game is not the DJ LeMahieu that we know. And it's yeah. obvious he's hindered by his toe. I don't know. It sounds like it won't get better by sitting. But at some point, you have to think, okay, maybe just resting him for a few weeks. But more importantly, having a guy up who actually can hit and is not playing at 50% might be more important. And I think the Yankees have this long view of, okay, it's going to be okay. Like their whole strategy for dealing with things is it's going to be fine. Like we're going to make conservative moves. Some, And it, it it's funny describing it because sometimes it seems like the conservative move is putting a guy in the IL for too long. And sometimes it seems like not long enough, but I just think their roster management has been weird and I feel like that's kind of contributed to some of this because some of the lineups they've run out have been intentionally shorthanded and that hinders your ability to score runs we're even seeing it right now we're seeing DJ LeMahieu needing to sit on the bench and Anthony Rizzo not playing in the lineup and they won today but their offense is still hindered by these guys and when your biggest problem is run scoring you lose games by close margins you're losing your division lead because you're losing these one run games like it's all correlated it and like you said it's not because of any one cause but I think that's one of the causes that has been really prevalent in these last few weeks yeah so I agree and I've been thinking a lot about that because of you know you have commented on Twitter on the fact that the Yankees called up Oswald Peraza who you know when he was ready for the majors he was supposed to supplant IKF IKF was publicly called a stopgap and yet they called up Oswald Peraza to sit on the bench. Um, and you've also commented, as you just did, on the Yankees' willingness to play shorthanded and not put guys on the IL uh, when it seems like they could use an IL stint. Um, I think part of that is that the rosters have expanded, so they feel like, well, the roster expanded by two guys. There are two guys who probably shouldn't be playing, so like, oh, you know, it's a wash. But that's bad roster management. But I was thinking about that, so I looked into it. Um, there are, and this is ridiculous. I, with, you know, trading for an injured player, Harrison Bader, uh, trading for a player who then got injured and now needs surgery, Andrew Benintendi, and with Matt Carpenter also going on the IL, uh, the Yankees only have two 40 man, uh, hitters who are not catchers in the minors. Like basically everyone is on the team. Do you know who those two players are? Uh, and Duhar is one. I don't yep. know the other. The other is Everson Pereira. 
um, who I think is in double A. So, like, (laughs) I I agree with everything you're saying, but I also don't know what the Yankees could do. Like, I assume they would have to make a 40-man move of some sort, but, like, Severino, Ridings, King, Green, Hill are all on the 60-day already. Like, the only 15-day IL guys they have are Abreu, Chapman, Nestor, Efros, uh, Benintendi, and Carpenter. Benintendi, Boone said, is going to be back before the end of the season. He's not a 60-day candidate. Carpenter, we expect to be back before the end of the season. He's not a 60-day candidate. Efros, they obviously want back. Chapman, I personally would put on the 60-day, but I don't think they will. So, uh, And Nestor, they obviously won't. So it's like, okay, you're going to put, what, Albert Abreu on the IL so you can call up, like, some non-40-man guy from AAA? Like, I totally agree with what you're saying about roster management. I just don't know where they would turn. Like, if your only options are Miguel Andujar, who you hate, and Everson Pereira, who is probably still a year and a half or so off from playing Major League Baseball... Like, I, I, I don't know what they're supposed to do. Right. No. I mean, one. I think it's definitely more of a philosophical thing, and I, I agree. Absolutely. They're, they're kind of handicapped by those options, but I, I think my frustration is that you know, like, I get there are no options, but is there really like, I just feel like Rizzo is going to come back before he's ready, or DJ's playing when he shouldn't be, and like, would it? I know it's not going to help but like wouldn't it help to sit them for a little bit I feel like we see this happen all the time and maybe I don't have a point besides I've seen this happen for years with them and it's just very frustrating as like a way to intentionally handicap your team because it's not the this isn't the first time that's happened and maybe you know maybe that they correctly assess that the value that they're going to get from having those guys back a few days earlier is better than the value they get from Miguel and Duhar. And wouldn't it just help things if Miguel and Duhar actually was a good hitter? <laughs> I think that, yeah, that might I be mean, the answer. I'm, I'm looking at the, the triple a infielders, none of whom are on the 40 man. Um, there are Armando Alvarez, Jake Bowers, Chad Bell, Derek Dietrich, Ronald Guzman, Chris Owings, Anthony Volpe and Tyler Wade. And, uh, Jake Bowers is on the 60-day. Derek Dietrich got suspended, right? Um, I'm actually shocked that we have not seen Wade back. Like, really shocked. I am too, but I think it's just this same thing of, right. like, they're not going to make a 40-man move. Um, and also, Tyler Wade like can't play first base, and they have Oswaldo Cabrera, Oswald Peraza, Gleyber Torres, you know, in theory, DJ LeMahieu, IKF, like... They don't need a middle infielder. I think if if any one of those guys went down, we'd see Wade immediately because this organization is in love with him. Uh, and As then are just all for, the female fans in the fan base. <laughs> of course. And just for completeness, the outfielders, not that they'd be looking for one, but it would be an opportunity to play Cabrera in the infield. Uh, Michael Beltre is injured. Philip Evans, who we saw in spring training a bit, Old friend Ryan Lamar, Blake Perkins, and Matt Pita. So it's like the the cupboard the cupboard's bare, mm-hmm. um, and 
the Yankees roster management has been poor and maybe they handicapped themselves in other ways to get to this point. But like the bottom line is they need to put a team on the field that scores runs and independent of what happened today, running out a lineup day after day that includes Josh Donaldson, Marwin Gonzalez, Tim LaCastro, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, um, you know, recently Glaber Torres, although he had, uh, a hit and a run today. Um, like, it's it's just not working. And Anthony Rizzo and DJ LeMahieu need to be really good when they come back. Giancarlo Stanton needs to be healthy. But, man, I think about the trade deadline as um, just an unmitigated disaster at this point. Andrew Benintendi, uh, I was wrong about him. He found his power stroke and, you know, contributed to a couple wins. Uh He's on the IL, broke a bone. Like, we don't know. He's getting surgery, so I don't think we can be sure that he's going to come back. But, you know, maybe he will, maybe he won't. But we're not getting anything out of him. Um, Jordan Montgomery, of course, has been really good in, uh, in St. Louis. It would be nice to have him as good as the pitching has been. I'd rather depend on him than on Domingo Herman and Clark Schmidt who are both in the rotation after the Cortez injury. Um, You know, Frankie Montas was good yesterday, but came into yesterday's game with a 7 ERA as a Yankee. Lou Trevino has been very good. Uh, I don't really have a problem with him. Scott Efros has been great, but we haven't seen him in weeks because he's on the IL. Um, You know, the... And Harrison Bader, of course, is 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 injured, so we've gotten literally nothing out of the out of the Jordan Montgomery trade. Um, so I don't look like I wish the Yankees had traded for Jock Peterson or Ian Happ. I wish the Yankees had traded for Carlos Rodon. I wish the Yankees had traded for Luis Castillo. Um, and we don't know, you know, what would have happened in any of those cases. We don't know if those guys would be healthy. We don't know if they would be contributing. But, um, you know, to say that the trade deadline was is an unmitigated disaster, I don't mean that as a comment on the strategy. I think parts of the strategy were sound. But when we're looking at results, it was awful. And um, it's really disappointing to see how it has played out and I think that it is part of what has contributed to the Yankees being handcuffed yeah I mean I still disagree that it was an unmitigated disaster I never going to fault a team for trading for a guy and having him be injured um you know the jury's out on no I, I'm not saying strategically no it was right okay an unmitigated I, disaster I'm saying that that's how it has ended up right like independent of whether the moves themselves were intelligent or not We've ended up in a place where the results of the trade deadline are horrible. I mean, I still think that Benintendi provided value. I think the Frankie Montes's next month is going to be important because I believe that he is a much better pitcher than what he has shown. And I think he is going to be better than Castillo. You know, maybe not right now, but like, or just as good as Castillo, I should say. And Trevino's been good. Like, I know Efros hasn't pitched, but I... I don't know. I think right now the one place that are probably our biggest disagreement other than Benintendi, like, and I'm not 100% rock solid on this, but I would rather have the promise of another outfielder than 
having another guy in the rotation. And I understand how good Montgomery's been, but there's just no way to know if he like would have been that good with the Yankees. And that's just not what they need. They desperately need outfield help. And I kind of am willing to risk. I mean, that's what's going to happen, but I'm willing to take the risk of, you know, having this really good defender, potentially above average contributor offensively coming back into the lineup in potentially a week and a half. Um, this trade could Wait, go. Wait, who is who is the really good defender? Bader. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, no, Benintendi is not a good defender. I know, I know. Uh, but I'm willing to take that risk, you know. And I know that Jordan Montgomery has been good, but the Yankees just I, they don't need that right now, and they might not need that in October, and they well, desperately need we, hitters. How sure are we? First of all, how sure are we that they don't need it? Like every I'm start. Pretty sure. Every start that they give to, like, the Yankees, first of all, Montas, what, like, whether or not Montas will be good, he's been bad. Uh, whether or not Nestor Cortez will come back and be productive, he is hurt. Whether or not Clark Schmidt has a future as an elite starting pitcher, he is who he is right now. Like, the idea that the Yankees could not use a serviceable major league arm today uh, to allow Clark Schmidt to remain in a multi-inning high-leverage bullpen role, I just think is wrong. Like, I understand that the Yankees have survived and that they made moves that are potentially strategically valuable and that, um, you know, the the promise of Harrison Bader, who, let's not forget, is still projected to be, or is still like a 98 career WRC plus hitter, uh, and a 93 WRC plus hitter this year. Like, I think I would rather have had the production of Jordan Montgomery for the last five and a half weeks than the promise of Harrison Bader because it would have meaningfully changed the way the Yankees could approach games. And like, you're right. 100% you're we've right. We've seen guys play, p- pitching in situations that they shouldn't be pitching in. The Yankees continue to bring Wandy Peralta up in, um, you know, save situations the Yankees continue to try to wring every last pitch they can out of Ron Marinaccio the Yankees uh have just decided that Greg Weissert who wasn't on the 40-man roster a couple weeks ago is now a high leverage guy like the idea that just because different guys have pitched well in different roles the Yankees couldn't have used Jordan Montgomery I understand what you're saying about outfield help being more valuable as they go towards the postseason, but like, man, I, it's it's really tough to look at the way this team has played for the last month and be totally fine with them giving away everything that they gave away at the trade deadline when you consider what they've gotten out of those guys. Two of three of them on the injured list. Uh, one of them basically just had his first good start. Like, it's it's really tough. I mean, Domingo Hermond, who was probably, and I know Clark Schmidt is in the rotation, but I think Domingo, it was basically Domingo Hermond was, you know, on the chopping block before Jordan Montgomery got traded. And I think the thing that has kind of swayed me is that I actually like think Domingo Hermond has been kind of good, which is just weird to think about because I, I, I think we were all very anti Hermond at, you know, his, his first few starts against the Astros and Mets. But since the deadline, I mean, he has arguably been the best pitcher in this rotation. I mean, he has a 1.98 ERA and six starts. And 
that's the guy that Jordan Montgomery was, you know, basically taking the spot from. I think But he would be he would be in the rotation anyway because Nestor Cortez got hurt. For two starts. And, it's two starts of Schmidt is what we're looking he's, at. And he's still Domingo Herman. He has a three point seven four FIP and a four point five four X FIP in his last seven starts. Um he is striking out five guys per nine, walking almost two. Uh, it's just that he's given up way fewer home runs in his recent starts than he was in his first two. And we know that home run per fly ball tends to regress to the mean. Uh, he's only allowing a 240 BABIP. Like, Domingo Herman is pitching well in the same way that we've always seen Domingo Herman pitch well, which is to say, like, the apocalypse is coming. Right. But I just think that the, it wouldn't have changed the outcome of games if you sub in Montgomery's performance for Domingo Herman's. And I, I'm saying this take is not fully developed. I don't feel like I'm not anti Jordan Montgomery. I, I certainly would have liked to have had him. But as we see this offense struggle, I kind of appreciate having another option coming back versus having even more pitching and just having an excess of it. Because, I mean, the guys you described are all good. Like, Wandy Peralta, Ron Marinaccio, Greg Weissert have been good as they've pitched, you know, except for a, a few small hiccups. Like, I don't think their performance is the reason the Yankees are struggling. And if it is, it's because the offense didn't score enough. I think, you know, issues A, B, C, D, and E are all related to the hitters. And I agree. Yeah, I, I, you know, this trade will be determined by what happens at, by the end of the year. I don't think either of us have an idea because you don't know what Harrison Bader is going to provide and you don't know what this Yankees rotation is going to look like and you don't know how the division is going to shake out. If they end up blowing this division, then I still don't think it's because of the pitching, but I'm more willing to hear, you know, that they probably should have had another pitcher versus taking a chance on an injured hitter. If Bader isn't Harrison... good, then there you go. But I just think right now the promise – and it's you know it sounds weird to say it, but they just need all the bats they can get, and I'm glad that there is at least another one in the mix, especially now that Benintendi is out for a bit. I agree that they need all the bats they can get. Harrison Bader has a 93 WRC plus this year. The Yankees outfield in the second half has a 92 WRC plus. I understand that you can change the composition of that, and Aaron Judge is doing a lot to bring that up, and. Mm -hmm. You know, Aaron Hicks and Tim LaCastro are doing a lot to bring that down. Um, and Oswaldo Cabrera, who I do believe is going to hit, is doing some to bring that down as well. But, like, the average Yankees outfield in the second half has just been Harrison Bader. So I, I would be cautious about pinning my hopes on how Harrison Bader is going to spark the lineup. Um, and maybe it allows you to get creative with how you construct the lineup and if Oswaldo Cabrera starts hitting and you have a center fielder then Aaron Judge can play right and Oswaldo Cabrera can play the infield and you can get an unproductive bat out of the infield but like I I'm just look the as far as I'm concerned the way that this team is going to succeed is by the guys who we know are good at baseball breaking out of their slumps agreed agreed uh, the the way that this team is going to succeed is not that guys with thousands of plate appearances of data about them are going to 
completely wholesale change the way they are as players. Although Andrew Benintendi did that, and I am proud of him for doing it. Like, that's just not something that I think you can reliably depend on. So if Harrison Bader comes back and is a 95 WRC plus bat with elite defense, that will create value, but it's not going to be the thing that sparks the offense, I don't think. Like, the thing that sparks the offense is going to be that Giancarlo Stanton is bound to have a stretch here where he's a 150 WRC plus hitter instead of a negative 18 WRC plus hitter. Or that when DJ LeMahieu feels good enough, he's going to start, you know, spraying the ball gap to gap again. Or that Glaber Torres is, you know, going to find something, maybe take a couple walks and uh, and put a couple balls over the wall. Like, we, I, I just think that... The fact that this team has struggled does not mean that this team has completely lost the formula for how to be good. And they showed us a very large sample of this team, you know, applying the formula of how to be good. And I think that we can just pay attention to that and remember what that looked like and use that as kind of the the compass that tells us if they're moving in the right direction or not. Like, this team's whole identity doesn't need to change and this team's whole identity isn't going to change. They are who they are and I'm confident that who they are is a very good team and that the last month is much more of an aberration than the first multiple months of the season um right and so I would also like just... it's to me it's not about Harrison mm-hmm. Bader it's not about like oh you know IKF hit a home run today maybe that means he's you know applying all that Justin Turner BS like no we know what this team has to do to win the pitching has been sustaining them as the pitching has done all year and the bats are going to wake up because of course the bats are going to wake up and then we're going to see it yeah I I think that actually you know when you target the last month I think people are going back and saying the Yankees have been mediocre since that June series against the Astros and that probably gets me more annoyed than any other take on the internet because the Yankees did not start playing as poorly as they're playing. You could really pinpoint it to, I think, the trade deadline, honestly, because that Seattle series was the first really bad series. The Yankees in July were mediocre record-wise, but they were really good offensively. Like I think July was actually their best run scoring month out of any, any of the months. And obviously some games, you know, against Pittsburgh and Boston propped that up, but there was a few close games, you know, the, against Cincinnati, against Boston, some tough Houston games, like, but for the most part, I mean, they still won a series at Fenway or sorry, they won two games at Fenway. They won a series at home against Boston. They won a series in Baltimore. They won three out of four against Kansas city. They won a series in Cleveland. Like that team was still really good. And, what, so I think your distinction is really important because it's not the Yankees have been as bad as long as they've been good. It's They have had a horrific month of baseball. They had an up and down month before that, and then they had three really good months before that. And to your other point, yeah, that's the key is not Harrison Bader. I think I would rather, as I said, have more bats to take chances on, but the key is going to be, as we talked about at the beginning of the year, as we talked about in the middle of the year, the supporting cast to Aaron Judge playing as they should be playing as to their career levels. DJ LeMayhew was really good up until August. Claver Torres had a really good first half. Anthony Rizzo, when healthy, has been really good. It's that making the lineup deep, those guys are the most important three, in my opinion. I think Stanton is important, but he is kind of, you know, I, I think once he's healthy, I have the most confidence in him to hit. But it's having those three, four, or five guys to have not just one guy in the lineup. I mean, the fact that the Yankees have won any games in the last two weeks should be the automatic, you know, sealing the deal on Aaron Judge's MVP case because he is 
basically single-handedly as much as a baseball player can do won them games but you're going to need multiple guys to hit in that lineup and when we talk about confidence later you know my confidence is shaken because those guys are not hitting now but all it takes is for them to hit come playoff time or come later in the season and you know you're right back to where you were earlier in the year nothing is fundamentally different about this team and the fact that the pitching is this good which as we said, is the probably the hardest part of this to nail down because the guys in the offense have demonstrated that they have been good. The pitching staff, you know, more of a collection of guys, some who have not had as much success before, but are playing at a really high level now. I'd rather bank on the pitching staff playing, you know, as, as well as it's had and the hitters as we know and they've demonstrated this year. I mean, the Yankees still lead the league in run scoring despite the last month. The hitters have demonstrated this year that they can be really good and, I'm, you know, that like that's the key for them winning the World Series versus them, you know, flaming out in the playoffs because the Yankees lineup like this is probably not going to win many playoff games. And, you know, the Yankees lineup just with a few more guys healthy and hitting is a powerhouse. Um, I think there's another conversation that we can have at some point about how they're just punting multiple lineup spots for defense and then those guys just also refuse to hit. Um, but well, let's have that conversation because we've yeah. we've been going for a while. We've covered a lot of stuff. We're probably not going to talk about too many specific games. Um, I will say uh, just a comment on what you just mentioned. The Yankees are second in the American League in uh, Fangraphs WAR from pitchers and first in the American League in Fangraphs WAR from hitters. So. Um, like, even in spite of a horrendous month, this is still a very good team. And I agree that we need to push back against the idea that the Yankees have been, like, mediocre since June. The Yankees have the best record in baseball at the trade deadline. Like, you don't you do not do that if you've just played mediocre baseball for a month. Let's let's just be very clear about that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, let's, let's talk about them punting multiple lineup spots for defense from guys who don't play defense. I am very... Uh, eager to hear this take because I feel like it's uh, the internet finally coming around to the way that I see things. Well, I mean, it doesn't involve IKF because he's obviously a slugger. Uh Obviously. But the fact that IKF is called a good defender, I mean, we have been saying this every freaking week and he bobbles a ball, he boots a ball. He has Susan Waldman calling him out on broadcast. Susan Waldman doesn't criticize anyone for the love of God. And (laughs) IKF has a really frustrating knack of getting a hit at the time when the world is descending upon him and thus extending his, you know, his time in the lineup for probably the rest of the season. Um, But it's just such a flawed team building strategy. And I, you know, I really, one of the, my, I guess my passion projects, I think some of my articles have been to this effect, specifically the one I wrote in March about like the, the team building strategies over the year. But I just like thinking about like how the Yankees came to decisions that they they have come to like how they've evolved and thinking just because you know Brian Cashman it's actually really easy that he's been the GM for the last 20 years because you can kind of see how one person has changed the team building strategy and we saw it with you know building a young core we saw it with spending in free agency versus making trades like how that you know you could read my article on Yankees files I think I really got into the weeds of just how they've approached free agency and you know building a team um but in other, you know, another aspect of that is who you choose to put on that team. And I think the Yankees three years ago were their team building mentality was find the best hitter at every position. And we don't really care about the defense. You know, you had 
Gary Sanchez. You had Luke Voigt. You had guys who, you know, you had Glaber Torres at short. You know, you had guys who were not necessarily picked for their defense, but could slug the hell out of the ball in a great offensive environment, but still very good hitters. And you know what? That offense was really good. And the pitching staff was not as good, but that was because the pitchers weren't as good. I don't know what Cashman was thinking, but in, it seems to me that he was thinking that we need to be more pitching and defense, and that's going to you know change in the other direction. What they did do right was hire uh, you know Matt Blake, who basically transformed some guys on the pitching staff. They brought in very good pitchers. Their pitching strategy, I, you know, no notes. I've always said I, I give them the benefit of the doubt on that, but. The, the defense part is substantially less important when those guys can't hit. And I think what they should have done is focused on, you know, finding guys who can hit and making sure they're adequate defenders as opposed to just because finding guys who are just good defenders and don't care about their hitting is a flawed strategy for many reasons. But the most important one is defensive metrics are very, very limited. They're still in their in- infancy in terms of how we can use them to evaluate players. And if you look at them for a lot of positions, they don't really make sense. For example, basically like every left fielder is, you know, an average to below average defender. You have good first baseman def- defenders who rank negatively on, or poorly on the defense um, defensive run save metric, outs above average metric. You know, even the fact that we have multiple metrics and we don't know which one is the better one or how you can judge them relative to each other is a problem. And so I think trying to, you know, and then you also have like standard fielding, you know, errors. Like if you really want to go back to the, the olden days, the fact that there's no clear cut way to evaluate defense and just there's ways to get an idea, but you know, catcher defense, I, I can accept that. But for other positions, it's just harder to evaluate. And so I think, like I said, finding good hitters who probably are not terrible defensively is not a terrible strategy. Instead, we have now, you know, Brian Cashman and Aaron Boone saying that Isaiah kiner Falefa is the God's gift to earth for defenders because he rates highly in one specific metric that is debatable about how much you can game that by standing in a certain area. I mean, we're really having this conversation on September 5th. That just shows me a complete lack of lack of faith that I should have in these metrics, but also lack of faith in the ability of the person who is putting together the team to adequately judge those metrics because the eye test doesn't match up. And the eye test is really one of the more important things for defense specifically. Um, you can tell me I someone's would... a good defender, but like we've seen so much evidence that he isn't. I, I think my point is that... Um, there, you know, you may think IKF is a good defender. You may think he's not a good defender. There are ways to probably prove both. But the fact that we're having that conversation about what should be the overwhelmingly best part of his game when there are every single other part is statistically you can prove very easily that it is not good is a huge problem. And we can yes. also talk about Kyle Higashioka, but I think at least the you know the the ship has been righted there and that Trevino is unquestionably the starting catcher so i would rather just focus on IKF yeah so i mean i i am duty bound to uh to note that Gary Sanchez and Kyle Higashioka have equivalent framing runs this year uh and 
Gary has a 96 WRC plus and Higashioka has a 62 WRC plus. So just have to get that one out there. But you're you're exactly right about IKF. It's not about the question of whether he's a good or bad defender. And the answer is he's a bad defender, which we know he makes a ton of errors. He rates very poorly at outs above average and his defensive run saved is good. But his defensive run saved is only good because if you stand a little bit closer to the infield, as Trey Turner just publicly explained one time, if you stand a little bit closer to the batter, then it is more difficult to get to balls that you should still probably get to, balls that you could throw guys out on if you were standing a little bit farther back and got to them, and then the stat doesn't penalize you because the balls are harder to get to when you're standing closer to the hitter. So it's ridiculous that The Yankees believe IKF is a good shortstop. They probably have their own internal metrics, but when the eye test is terrible, he makes a bunch of throwing errors, he makes a bunch of fielding errors, he's bad by outs above average. Maybe defensive run saved or whatever, you know, internal proprietary metric the Yankees are using isn't all that good. So I completely agree that it's ridiculous that the Yankees brought in a guy whose calling card was defense and base running, and he's been a terrible defender and a league average at best base runner like it's it's ridiculous um and it's malpractice as far as I'm concerned by the Yankees to um to continue to run IKF out there when they've called up Peraza like what is IKF there for at this point he's an awful defender he is uh <laughs> no better than the 10th best base runner on the team by the Fangraphs base running metrics. Um I mean it's ridiculous. It's it's insane and the fact that IKF has survived for this long is just plainly plainly absurd. Right. And you have his replacement right there. I mean that is the absurd part and he's... What is a stopgap if not a guy that you take out once his replacement is ready? Right. And it, it's fascinating because it seems to me that, you know, the, the Yankees don't want to admit a mistake they made on a transaction. That could be one of the reasons. But they traded Joey Gallo and they had no problem benching him. This seems very IKF mm-hmm. specific. And I yep. think it really seems more defense specific. Like we don't we, we think he is so good at defense that it adds value to our team. I mean, Aaron Boone said he is such a big part of what we are doing. Well, he's not a big part of the offense, so he has no. to be a big part of something. And it, at that point, it has to be the defense. And he throws, I mean, his throw today to Marwin, that Marwin dropped. Yes, Marwin probably should have caught that. But he throws his, he throws from short with like this weird sidearm motion that somebody on Twitter basically pinpointed him throwing like a sinker, which is why the ball ended up on the ground. And despite that, you know, it would maybe be okay, but there's no strength to it. I mean, he's running in on a ball that barely makes it to the first baseman. We saw Correa, which was a great juxtaposition because oh my Correa basically yeah. like you know flicks his wrist and the ball's in the first baseman's mitt. Like the laser that he threw on uh, the double play ball, I can't remember who hit it, but Correa just threw. I mean, it was like a gunshot mm-hmm. from from second base. It was ugh. Right. Good thing he's not on the Yankees. Right. And and you know, good thing Isaiah Kiner Falefa is not on the team. He Isaiah Kiner Falefa should have been playing shortstop today. It should have been for the Twins. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, it's really really disappointing and I think, you know, for a team that is supposed to be pretty analytically advanced, 
the most baffling decision that they continue to make is to run IKF out there. Um, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He uh, he doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't hit the ball in the air. He doesn't play good defense, and he doesn't run the bases well. But my favorite um, comment that you made on Twitter was that he IKF hits ground balls because he <laughs> thinks they're going to be hard to field because of his experience in the field. And I sat there and I thought about it and I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe. <laughs> it's, maybe. it's strategic. He's like, he remembers what he does in the field. And he's like, oh my gosh, when they hit a ball at me on the ground, it's it's so difficult to manage. Um, so he just hits ground balls at people. And you would think he would learn that ground balls are a lot easier for other people to manage than they are for him. Uh, he hasn't. Uh, but it is what it is. All right, Whipple, let's uh, start to wrap things up. So, of course, today the Twins' offense was one Gary Sanchez. He had a 473-foot bomb uh, over the left field bleachers off of Tyone. Um, I mean, just straight-up vintage Gary. And did he not drive in friend of the podcast, Jake Cave? He did. I mean, this was a Yankees Files episode. It was a Yankees Files special. Yes, through and through. Um. And MLB then posted Gary's Homer on Instagram and the official twins account uh, commented on it and said, hot Gare summer lives on. I wonder where they got that bit. I mean, did they think they could change it by dropping the Y and getting Ridiculous. away with it? I it's, it's disappointing. You know, they should have given us credit. Um, we'll, we'll cut them slack because of the tough loss today, but they try that again. I think, I think, you know, they, my guess, I mean, all joking aside, like you think they probably would have seen it through either a tweet we sent or a tweet that somebody sent to us or something. Like, I think the odds that it was from us that they took it from and not just them making up are really good. And I, do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. And, um, I, they'll be receiving a season desist from me. Yeah, I, I well well deserved. I mean, that was the if there was if we were to make merch, I think that would have been the first slogan on the merch. If if Yankees all had a slogan, yeah. it would have been that. So at Minnesota Twins, at Jake Cave, do you need to do us justice? Yeah, and we we said it to Cave on the podcast. It's it's documented. We have it on on audio and video. So uh, they uh, you know it's the Twins are are in for a rough time, and you'll be my legal representation. So Whipple. It is that time. Wait, 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 wait. It can't be that time because, and this is not a parting shot. Because we haven't talked about Aaron Judge. I refuse to do fan comments. (laughs) I refuse to get off this podcast until we talk about Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is unbelievable. The guy, uh, (laughs) so Aaron Judge hit his 54th home run today. Uh, He is well on his way to surpassing Roger Maris's and American League record. A new career high today because 53 was his previous career high. If you know, you know. If if you know, you know. Uh, shout out to that game against the Cardinals uh, and to Greg Bird for hitting a home run in that game. Uh, Aaron Judge's WRC Plus is up to 202. He's slashing 302, 403, 682. I tweeted earlier that if 300, 400, 500 is good, 300, 400, 680 is probably also good, uh, which I think holds up to scrutiny. Um, Aaron Judge, I believe, surpassed nine uh, or past nine fan graphs war today. So that's pretty good. Um, 
he's unbelievable. He's driven in 117 runs. He's hit 54 home runs. Uh, it's the most home runs by a right-handed Yankee ever, uh, tied with A-Rod in 2007. Uh, in that year, A-Rod had 9.6 war uh, and a 175 WRC+. Plus. Judge is very likely to beat both of those. Um, I mean, this is... What we're seeing is unbelievable, and the idea that there is a debate about who should win the MVP uh, just because Shohei Otani pitches once a week is one of the most farcical discussions in the history of uh, of baseball. It's crazy, and if this the last two weeks have had any positive impact in Yankees Yankees universe and the MLB universe, it's demonstrating that the Yankees would not be able to win without Aaron Judge. I mean, I've never seen a team have to be single-handedly carried for certain stretches by an offensive player. It defies what you can do in baseball. And Aaron Judge, is, he is, has nine war, but he has won so many more games than that for the Yankees this year. And mm-hmm. you, there's been games you know, with multiple home runs. There's been games with hitting a home run and then robbing a home run. There's been games in the last few days where he is scoring runs. He's hitting home runs. He is driving himself in and doing basically everything he can to deliver the Yankees wins. And just because, as you said, somebody pitches, I get Shohei Otani is really good, and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm willing to say a player has to prove how they're better than Shohei Otani. Aaron Judge has done that and far more. And, you know, the home run record is a part of it, but that's not, you know, he is so much more than hitting home runs. He is just the best all-around player in baseball this year. And don't talk to me about, you know, a guy pitching and hitting on a mediocre team. Like, the Yankees would not be leading the division. They would probably be uh, in, maybe out of the playoffs without Aaron Judge. I mean, it's just really hard to know, but, you know... One other thing that um, you know, I just wanted to point out, he's only three home runs behind Barry Bonds' pace at this point. Like He's not going to get to 73, but just the fact that we're having that conversation in September after people have been talking about this for months. I mean, every time Aaron Judge hits a home run, there's a comparison to Maris, comparison to McGuire, comparison to Bonds. This is the stuff that made Roger Maris tear his hair out. And yep. Aaron Judge is basically unfazed. I mean... You cannot say enough about he is having the greatest walk year in the history of sports. And Easily. if he is not a Yankee next year, then I don't know what to tell you. Hey, would you say that like Trey Mancini, Cattell Marte, Mike Yastrzemski, Max Muncy, Ryan Mountcastle, uh, are any of those guys good at baseball? They're, they're potentially a, a bit good. Okay, so all of those guys have at least... 450 plate appearances this year and have either 1.3 or 1.4 Fangraphs war. So Shohei Otani, on top of what he has already produced this year, in the next like 30 games or 25 games, however many the Angels have left, would have to basically produce 497 plate appearances worth of Trey Mancini's 2022 production just to close the gap that exists between him and Aaron Judge today. Like, I understand that war is in everything um, and that Shohei Otani has had a terrific season and that he's a very good player, but the notion that Shohei Otani is a more valuable player than Aaron Judge 
just because he pitches when there is a 60-point gap in uh in WRC plus between them when there is a 40 or 36 point gap in batting average a near 50 point gap in on base a 160 point gap in slugging uh and of course if you just take their their hitting statistics into account a gap in war of over six in spite of the fact that Shohei Otani has already gotten 550 plate appearances this year which is uh, only 23 fewer than Judge. It's ridiculous. Or, sorry, 27 now. Um, It's ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. What Shohei Otani does is really cool. There's no one else in baseball who could do it. But it is not true that just because Shohei Otani pitches and hits, um, he is he should be just given the MVP. You know what Shohei Otani doesn't do? He doesn't play defense because he's a DH. So on four or five days of the week, Aaron Judge is unquestionably more valuable than him. And then on that fifth day, it's probably a toss-up depending on what Aaron Judge did in the game. So there are other parts of baseball that are not just pitching and hitting. There's the defense part that Aaron Judge wipes the floor with him in, wipes the floor with him in hitting. And yes, he pitches, but as all the metrics show, Aaron Judge is... Like, let's reframe it. It's not that Aaron Judge can't match up with a pitcher slash hitter. It's that Aaron Judge doesn't pitch, and he is still better than Shohei Otani. Exactly. I think you can exactly. leave it at that. And I would just add, there's all this talk on Twitter about, like, oh, the real home run record is 73, or the real home run record is 61. Who cares? Like, first of all, the Yankee home run record is 61. The AL home run record is 61. Whether Aaron Judge passes... You know, any of the seasons that Sosa had or, uh, you know, any of the seasons that McGuire had or the one season where Barry Bonds hit more than 50 home runs. Um, Aaron Judge is pursuing a record, whether it's the Yankee record, the AL record. I don't care. Aaron Judge getting to 62 home runs would be the most incredible achievement in American League Baseball in basically 60 years. And... The fact that just because some juiced up National League guys got the record over 70 does not mean that I will be any less impressed with what Aaron Judge is doing this year. And it makes me really angry that people are trying to take away from what Aaron Judge is doing because of what Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds did. As if this is any less impressive, as if the offensive environments are the same. Like, let's just put into perspective what we're talking about here. Uh, no American League player has hit 61 home runs since uh, <laughs> since Roger Maris did it. That record has stood for 60 years. When you ba- break a record that has stood for 60 years, that is a huge deal. In the year when Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs, he had a 205 WRC+. Aaron Judge has a 202 WRC+. He is having an equally good season, and the only thing that is going to keep him from hitting 70 home runs is the difference in the offensive environment and probably the difference in steroid use. Like, it's it's patently absurd to try to take away from what Aaron Judge is doing just because some juiced-up guys in the late 90s and early 2000s uh, hit... Uh, you know, juice the home run record way up. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. What Aaron Judge is doing is incredible. And if you're trying to take away from him, then you don't enjoy baseball and you hate fun and I hate you. I 
agreed all your points. One more thing I think we need to just point out. You talk about offensive environment. The offensive environment is not as good as when any of these players hit their record-breaking home runs. McGuire, Sosa, Bonds. I mean, if you look at it was either during the steroid era, it was during an expansion period when you had new teams in the league, or both. Aaron Judge is playing with a D-juice ball and somehow has more than 20 home runs ahead of the runner-up in the league. I mean, he's not that far off of pursuing a triple crown, which would, honestly, like, I don't even know what that would do to how you would rank this season in baseball history. But (laughs) we talk about Pedro Martinez in comparison to the rest of the league in 2001 or whenever he had his his MVP-level season. We talk about Babe Ruth in comparison to the rest of the league in the 20s. Aaron Judge is good compared to history. He is wiping the floor with the rest of the league in a way in which we have never seen before. And I just want to make sure everyone realizes that the MVP is should be somebody who, you know, you can't replace his value, can't even come close to replacing his value. Literally any other hitter in the league is going to be such a massive drop-off from Judge. And, and his fan graph, or sorry, I'm on baseball reference right now where he has a mere 8.2 war. I mean, the next highest Abhorrent. player in the American League, the next highest just hitter in the American League is more than three war behind that. <laughs> I, I mean, let's just not even like it, it dim- diminishes Aaron Judge's achievements to make these comparisons. Barry Bonds hit 73 home runs in 2001. Luis Gonzalez, who hit more than 31 home runs just one time in his career, hit 57 home runs in 2001. But sure, 73 home runs is a completely legitimate record. This is ridiculous. Get out of here. All right, Whipple, uh, we've covered a lot on this podcast. It's a lot longer than a normal Yankees Files podcast. Uh, You know what it's time for confidence where are you out of 10 so i think we were both at 8.5 last time right i think so okay well it has been if you had if you had talked to us a week ago it probably would have been you know back to a nine if you talked to us half a week ago might have been at like a six i i think i'm gonna go down slightly i'm gonna go to an eight because you know the yankees might be back on track i hope that it is real and not just another you know a false uh mini winning streak and you know what? Even if it is, like, all they have to do is basically outlast the rest of the division because they're probably not catching the Astros. They're probably locked into that two spot, which is perfectly fine for, you know, purposes of getting a playoff by and home field advantage until the ALCS. There are concerning things with the offense we have talked about. There are a lot of holes. There's injuries. I don't know if all those guys are going to get healthy. I don't know if the guys on the IL are going to come back and get healthy. I know Aaron Judge is going to be good, but they need more than that to be a playoff you know, real playoff contender. I'm not worried about this pitching staff, and I do think that the offense has to improve. We're already seeing signs of it. So I, my confidence is a little shaken just because things seem peril- perilously close to falling completely off the rails. But you know what? All you all they have to do is make it through this weekend and probably maintain about the same division lead that they have right now or slightly better, and they're going to be fine because if they get through those head-to-head games with Tampa – there's no way that Tampa's going to make up five to six games in the division without playing head-to-head. Tampa's losing today, so this could be a six-game lead by the time most of you are listening to this podcast. So, you know, all this conflicting information, it really it makes my head spin. I'm going to go down slightly to an eight, 
And I hope that this is, you know, the lowest point that we saw this weekend and that we're going to trend upward because it really matters about how this team is going to fare in October. They just have a little bit of more work to do to get to that point where they can start setting themselves up for the playoff run. But I really like this roster. I like this pitching staff a lot. I like what these hitters can be. And I like having one of the best hitters of all time, having one of the best seasons of all time on my team. And <laughs> I, you know, if you have Aaron Judge, I, I'm going to like your odds a lot more than the team that doesn't. So going down slightly, but that's really only because of just some sh- shaking confidence in the offense and totally achievable for them to make back up. Yeah, I I agree that we need to go down. I'm actually, and this may be a first in Yankees Files history, I'm going to go down further than than you. Um, I'm going to go down to a seven and a half. I still think this team is very good. Um you know, if the Red Sox can hold on to their lead for another few innings, the Yankees will have a six-game lead in the uh, in the AL East, and that's terrific. That's a really good place to be. Or a six-game lead over the Rays. Um, I realize that the Blue Jays and Orioles are playing, and that will also play into the standings, and I forget how far back the Blue Jays are. So, oh, the Blue Jays could get to five and a half. So, look, whatever. They'll have a five and a half or six-game lead in the AL East. Um It'll be between five and six games, all right? Um, and uh, and that's a really nice place to be on September 5th. I think at the beginning of the season, we absolutely would have signed up for that, especially for how frequently we were told this was a fourth-place team. Um, but I have a lot of concerns. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton fouled the ball off his foot today. He could be hurt. Um, X-rays did not show a broken bone, but I also think that's what we were originally told about Andrew Benintendi, and that turned out not to be true. Um, so, uh, I'm worried about Stanton. Matt Carpenter doesn't sound like he's, you know, all that close to playing baseball. Um, and I was really banking on him to come back. Uh, the kids, even though I'm convinced that they will hit, haven't hit yet. I'd really like to see that. Harrison Bader, we're told he's going to start a rehab assignment, uh, within a week here, but we haven't seen him play any baseball. Uh, Nestor Cortez, we expect to be back in the rotation, maybe even as early as later this week, but, you know, he hasn't come back yet. Luis Severino is eligible to come back, uh, I think, in eight days, but he's still not there. Um, Anthony Rizzo and DJ LeMahieu, we don't know the severity of what they're dealing with. We don't know how the Yankees would really go about replacing them uh, in the long term if that were necessary, Uh, so I have some concerns there. Like, I, I'm happy with the way the Yankees have played in the last couple of games. I'm optimistic about the way that they will continue to play. I always appreciate playing the Twins, um, but I have a lot more concerns about the Yankees today than I have at any other point this season, um, and I think part of that is that, as you, you know, pointed to, we missed a week, so uh, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks, but... Look, I agree with everything you said. The Yankees are going to have one of the best pitching staffs and one of the best bullpens in baseball uh, going into the playoffs. They control their own destiny against Tampa, which is awesome. They, uh, you know, have scored the most runs in the league. They have the best run differential in the AL. They are leading their division by, you know, five or six games. There's there's a lot to be happy about, but, um, you know, if things are breaking down with respect to the health of the roster like this is an awfully bad time for that to be happening and I think I need to see some uh 
you know, some positive movement in that area in order for my confidence to get back to where it should be with this team, you know, at least equipped to play at the level that we know this team can play at. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, it is it is there for them, and it, what's really going to dictate it is, you know, how how much of a complete offense with guys hitting at their you know, actual levels and not their 50% levels are actually playing at all. How close are they going to be able to get to that come game one of the ALDS? Hopefully not game one of the wild card series. We will see. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, any parting shots from you? Um, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about so much. Like I, I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, seeing Jake cave today play baseball was really cool. So was. that was he narrowly missed a couple of homers. Yeah, I I don't know. For the first time, I'm kind of speechless for a parting shot. So let's just go. Let's go beat the Twins and then beat the Rays and keep winning baseball games. <laughs> Play today, win today. That's it. Let's do it. All right. So as always, people can keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com. They can follow us on Twitter. We are at Yankees Files, and this podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you would subscribe, and if you enjoy it, rate and review. If you don't enjoy it, why are you listening, uh, especially to a podcast this long? Anyway, uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week, and until then, let's go Yankees.